Every other week, I have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Jeff Lockyer, and nearly every one of those meetings begins with the same question. Jeff will look at me and ask, so what's going on in your world? What's going on in your world? How would you answer that question these days? Or if you ask a group of people, how diverse would the answers be? On the one hand, I think the answers are all the same. Every conversation we have with anybody begins with a debrief about how we're faring in the conditions of COVID-19. But, but I feel like people would describe what's going on in your world in a few different ways. There are, there are some people who would focus on kind of a fact-based news media kind of approach and talk about infection rates and, and death statistics and, and news about how the government has imposed certain societal restrictions. It's more of a news kind of answer. I think other people instead of news media would answer with a more social media kind of answer. They would talk about their opinions or ideas about what's going on. They would talk about how they feel about what's going on, what, whether this is being overblown or whether we're underreacting or what the government should do or what the government shouldn't do or what the government has been doing or not doing. Um, even some with some conspiracy kind of thinking about what is actually happening in this present moment. I think others of us might answer with an answer that describes our interior world, our our frustrations or questions or confusions, our anxiety about what's happening to our own lives, our uncertainty about where all this is going to go and how long it'll take, um, frustrations over how people are reacting, the choices they're making, the perceptions they're propagating, questions about um, why their pastor would use Steven Seagal as an example instead of just talking about The Rock. It, there's a lot of confusing is going on. If somebody were to say, what's going on in your world? There are a lot of different ways to answer the question because there are a lot of different voices describing current reality in a lot of different ways. And the question that we want to ask this morning is, how do we respond as Jesus followers to the question that asks, what's really going on in your world? Last week, we started this series by reading uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, where the Apostle Paul writes, train yourself for a holy life. We talked about how the goal of our lives is to be formed by God into the image of Christ for the sake of others. That's what, that's what God wants to do with our lives. And we talked about how if that's going to happen in our lives, then that's something we need to train for. That's going to be the result of some deliberate practices or exercises that we engage in that teach us how to operate in that mindset of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. What's interesting about 1 Timothy chapter 4 is if you read the verses just before, and I'll leave that to you to do, what you discover is the reason Paul says this is because he is speaking into a community where there is a variety of voices who are providing all sorts of diverse perspectives about what's actually happening in the world and in that community at that particular time. And Paul says, in the midst of that moment, with all of those voices swirling in, your air, in the air, here's what I need you to do. I need you to discipline yourself to practice 
the kind of spirituality that leads you towards being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. And what you discover he means by that in the verses that follow is he says, I need you to be focused on the truths of the faith. That's how you will live a life in hope, in relationship with the God who saves and heals you. That in the context where there are a whole bunch of voices telling us how to think about what's going on in our world, Paul says, what I need you to be doing is to discipline yourself, to train yourself, to listen to the voice of the truth of your faith. That's how you will be formed into a God person. It's exactly what's described in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, verses worthy to be memorized, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to God, and God will make your paths straight. The proverbial writer says, as a matter of life commitment, trust in the Lord with all your heart, your heart being your total personality, everything about your inner you that makes you uniquely who you are, but in particular, how you think and how you behave. The proverbial writer says, if you're going to live life well in relationship with God, it's going to begin to the degree that you are willing to entrust all of your thoughts and your beliefs and all of your behaviors and your choices into the loving leadership of God. Submit to the way God wants you to think and choose. As opposed to, it says, lean not on your own understanding. Do not trust your own understanding. Do not follow your own opinions or your own ideas. Don't make those the authoritative voice in your life. Don't trust your own moral sensibilities or instincts. Don't go by what you think or by what you feel. Instead, go by what God thinks. Let that be the guiding perspective because in as much as it is, it says God will make your path straight. It doesn't mean God will fix everything in your life. It means that God will show you the way through whatever your circumstances are. He will guide you on the path that conforms to his purposes for your life. And what are God's purposes? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, it says this, For God, in all God's fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through Christ, God reconciled everything to God's self. God made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. If you were to ask God what's going on in your world, this is what God would say. God would say, I sent Jesus to enter into human history as God in human form, to enter into human reality, to live through by the Spirit whatever reality you are living through with you. In order that because of Jesus, all of reality, all of humanity, all of creation might be reconciled back to God, might be restored back to God's loving purposes for it so that God can flood the world and our lives and our communities with peace. And God would say that was accomplished through the teachings, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's happening in the news, regardless of what's going on right now, 
That's what God would say is going on in God's world. He is, God is restoring our entire world back to him, back to God's self and to God's loving purposes through the teachings, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what's going on in our world right now. And the global pandemic and all of the other circumstances, Nova Scotia or whatever personal situations you're living through, all of those things are contextualized by that reality that God is inviting us to live in all the time. So the question is, how do we learn to live in that reality so that God can form us into the image of Christ for the sake of others? Well, in Psalm chapter 119, verse 105, it says to God, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. I think the way that we learn to live in God's reality and see our world through the filter of God's perspective is by faithfully disciplining ourselves to be readers of the Bible. Because the Bible says that God's words provide illumination for our reality. They allow us to see things the way that they are in a way that allows us to walk in the way that God wants us to walk. That's what the scriptures do. Um, A woman by the name of Megan Larissa Good wrote a book called The Bible Unwrapped. And honestly, if you want to dig into any of this deeper, get yourself a copy of that book. But in that book, she compares the Bible to a window. She said, what a window does, the purpose of a window is that you, not that you would look at it, but that you would look through it to see the reality beyond, to see a world that transcends the limitations of your current circumstance. I would argue there's a second thing that a window does, and that is it allows the light from the outside world in. Um, My favorite place to work, in fact, where this sermon was written, now that we're all working from home, or at the very least we're all home and trying to do some work from there, those of us that are, um, I like to work in our sunroom. And when I sit in our sunroom, I'm surrounded by 10 rather large windows that give me this expansive view of the world beyond my sunroom. And sitting there looking through those windows, I realize there is a greater reality outside and above and beyond the limited reality that I'm living in. I see the more that there is to reality. But at the same time, working in the sunroom allows all the light from that reality to flood into my circumstances so that I see my circumstances differently. I see my circumstances, my reality for what it is in the light that comes from beyond. That's what reading the scriptures do. We read the scriptures to give us a vision of reality that's beyond our current circumstances, that helps us see God's reality beyond our reality, and that allows the light of God's perspective to shine into our world so that we can see our world for what it is. That's how this works. It is the light to our path that allows us to walk. Now, that being said, Megan Larissa Good points out that there's a lot of ways to look through a window badly, and there's a lot of ways to read the Bible badly. One way is to look at the glass instead of looking through the glass at the outside, right? You, you can look at the glass, but that's not using the window for what the window's 
supposed to be used for. And the same thing is true when we read the Bible. Sometimes we get all caught up in the details on what's on the page, on details that confuse us or on details that we just don't understand or on details where people have different opinions or on details where people fight and we get all caught up in those details and we actually end up losing the vision of the beyond, of God's perspective that God is inviting us to see. Another way to look through a window badly is to not realize that every window's dirty, some dirtier than others, but that every amount of dirt and fog on a window distorts your vision, right? And if you think that looking through a dirty, foggy window is giving you a clear vision of reality, you're looking badly. And the same thing is true when we read the Bible. We all come to the Bible with a distorted vision because of our personalities, because of our history, because of our circumstances, because of our ethnicity, because of our gender, because of our sexual orientation, because of our cultural background, our education, because we grew up in the church or outside the church. All of those things give us a unique perspective on the scriptures that allows us to see some things well, but that distorts or clouds our view of other things. This is why we need to read with each other in community because we each see different things in the scriptures and we can each help each other see because our windows are all dirty, but dirty differently. Another way to read, to look through a window badly is to imagine that a window shows you everything, right? In my sunroom, there are 10 windows, but there's also one big fireplace in the middle of it so that no matter where I sit in the room, my vision of something is always obscured. I can't see everything. And the same is true when we read the Bible. Some of us assume that when we read the Bible that we can understand everything that's in it or that the Bible is showing us everything to understand. And it's not. God is only showing us a glimpse of who God is through Jesus Christ. God is only showing us a glimpse of what of the meaning of life. God is only showing us a glimpse of what there is to be known. You cannot go to the Bible and assume it will answer every question about God or life or the world or everything. It's a limited view being read by limited people, which gives us a limited perspective. I suppose the other way to read, to look through a window badly is decide because some people look at the glass and windows are dirty and windows are limited that maybe it's not worth it to look at all. And I think it is. But you have to learn how to read the scriptures, to look through the window in a particular way. And so I'm just going to say two things about that in the minutes that remain. I'm going to talk about the goal of reading the Bible, and I'm going to talk, give you some tips about reading the Bible. First, the goal. We have to read the Bible hoping or reading through the lens of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, and all of that's recorded in the Bible. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by God's Son, whom God anointed the heir of all things, and through whom God also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being, sustaining all things by God's powerful word. The writer of Hebrews says, there are lots of ways in which God has spoken throughout the scriptures, but the clearest, most accurate way that God has revealed who God is, that God has revealed what life is about, that God has revealed God's purpose for creation, and that God has revealed his vision for human life is through Jesus. 
It is only by having a clear view of Jesus that we can understand everything else. Jesus is kind of like the picture on the cover of the puzzle box that allows us to understand how all the other little unique puzzle pieces fit, where they go, and how they contribute to the overall picture. And so you pick up a piece and it's confusing on its own and you don't really know what to make of it. So you look at the box and say, oh, I see how this fits because I can see the picture. And the same is true of scripture. The picture is Jesus and everything has to fit into that. So you read a passage of scripture and you ask yourself the question, what is this showing me about Jesus? Where does this fit into the story of Jesus? What does this reveal about the character of Jesus? How does this inform how I can come to know and love Jesus? Um, What does this show me about my need for Jesus? Because some of the puzzle pieces are dark and black and they're not a part of the picture of Jesus at all. They're showing us the world, what it looks like where Jesus is missing. But that's our question as we read, as we examine each piece of scripture. What is this telling me about Jesus? And we have to learn to read that way. And so here's some ideas to give you a chance to create a space where you can encounter God and God can help you read that way. A few things I would say super practically. The first one is this. I would say um, we have to slow down. We have to... Um, find a place that is quiet. We have to find a place where we can be uninterrupted. We can find a place, an atmosphere or an environment that is soothing, that is calming, where our shoulders can drop and take a few deep breaths and ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our experience of reading. And then we have to learn to read slowly, not skimming, not just trying to have our eyes hit every word on the page, not trying to get through a certain amount of material in a certain amount of time, but slowing down, encountering each word one by one. If you're very familiar with the Bible, grab a translation that you've never read before so that each word startles you because it's new and forces you to grapple with the question, why did God put this here? Why does this need to be said? And then while you're asking that question, you might as well ask that question of God. The second thing I would say is to pray before and during and after. Say, God, I want you to show me Jesus in the text. I want you to teach me what Jesus-shaped thing you want me to know as I read. And then be quiet in your soul and listen for the voice of God's Spirit to teach you to read the text through a Jesus lens, to see Jesus in the text. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to read. We need the community to be in dialogue with each other because hearing each other's perspectives and getting to the truth matters. We need the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to guide our thinking and our reflections. And then finally, I would say, once you've slowed down and actually read, Once you've asked God to teach you, to show you Jesus in what you're reading, then we have to get up and we have to live it. The process isn't, I'm going to understand everything and then apply it to my life. The process is, I'm going to live what I understand. And by living it, I will understand more deeply 
why God needed this to be said in the text. It's something that we come to grips with as we live it. And so the question is, what am I reading here that teaches me what it looks like to love God more deeply and to love others more sacrificially? How does this text compel me to love? That's how we read. What do I see of Jesus in the text? How is this text urging me to love in dialogue with the community and in conversation with God? How can I learn to see all of reality through these Jesus-shaped lenses given through the scriptures? And that's what we're going to practice right now. In just a couple minutes, we're going to take a minute and we're going to read a passage of scripture together slowly, quietly, prayerfully, thoughtfully, looking to see Jesus in the text and looking to hear how the text is inviting us to love God and to love each other and the world. But before we do, we want to watch a short video introducing you to the text that we want to read.